we get started this morning, I want you to put yourself back to when you're in uh, middle school or high school, maybe some of you are in middle school or high school, and think about that test that you had to take. You, did you ever have a test that you're like, oh man, I'm not so sure if I'm going to do well on this. You know what I mean? You feel a little bit unprepared. Maybe you weren't going to pass it, right? L let me share with you a story. I actually have two college degrees. My uh, a uh, degree that I have in biblical preaching I got much later after God called me to become a pastor. But my first degree is actually in business and marketing. And I'll never forget, it was my final semester of college, and I needed 13 credit hours to graduate, and I was taking 15 credit hours worth of classes. For those of you that aren't familiar with college classes, basically every class is going to be usually three uh, credit hours. So I was taking five classes in order to, uh, in order to graduate. However, one of those classes was called Advanced Calculus with Business Applications. <laughs> now, I had always done good in math. I had actually done really, really good in normal calculus. But for whatever reason, Advanced Calculus with Business Applications was just like going way over my head. And I'm starting to really sweat going into the final. So I went into the professor and I said to the professor, I was like, hey, you know, I've I'm, I'm been struggling a little bit with the class here. And the professor looked at everything. He said, Gilbert, um, if you would get 100 on the final, which you won't, <laughs> even if you got 100, you're still not going to pass the class. Well, now all of a sudden that means I'm only going to have 12 credit hours and I need 13 in order to graduate. So I'm going to be one credit hour short of graduating. And so I went to the counselor at the college and I said, what can I do about this? And they said, oh, it's simple. You can just test out of a class. I was like, what does that mean? And they said, well, you basically you pay a fee and you just take a test. And if you pass the test, then we give you all the, the credits for that particular class. I was like, you mean you don't even have to go to the full class for like all the, the weeks and stuff? And they're like, no, you just, if you're smart enough to pass the class, then you do it. I was like, why didn't anybody tell me about this a long time ago? I'd have just tested out of a bunch of classes. And so I said, well, show me the, the list of potential things. And so I'm going through the list, and one of them on there is typing. And I was like, wait a second, you're saying I can pay a fee, and as long as I pass the typing test, I'll be able to graduate? And she's like, yeah. I was like, well, why was I taking advanced calculus with business applications? <laughs> And she said, well, we just thought it'd be good for your major. And it's like, you already did all your core classes of math and, and your business classes. You didn't need to take it. We just thought it'd be a good one for you to take. I was like, no, it was horrible. And so I paid the fee. And because I was able to type so many words per minute and have so few of errors, I was able to graduate. So <laughs> thank you for being able to test out of classes, right? But again, that, that horrifying feeling of going into a test and not knowing, do I have the right answer or not? That is just absolutely terrifying, right? You remember what I'm talking about. Now, the reason I bring all that up is today we are wrapping up our series called Knowing Truth, where the Apostle John, he's been writing to the, the people of his day about here's how you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are right with God. In other words, when you get to that final test, when you stand before God, that you'll have the right answer that you, can, that you can give to him. And that you'll know that you know that you know that you know that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven. And he wanted to give us the assurance right here and right now so that you're not sweating it here on this earth of, am I right with God or not? And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one, actually it's two final tests 
uh, that John is going to give because what we've done over the last couple of weeks is I've given you sort of a series of questions that John gives that you can be sort of asking yourself. And thankfully, these final two questions here, this is more like the typing out of, uh, t- uh, or t- testing out of typing. This is an advanced calculus with business applications, okay? So it's going to be easy for you to know, am I in the right place or not? So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin today, 1 John chapter 4. We'll begin with verse 7. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures will be on the screen behind me. They're also provided for you in the program that you received when you came in. Or as Bill, our worship pastor, mentioned earlier, you can pull out your smartphone, go to exponential.church, and you can follow along on our digital bulletin there, do all the fill in the blanks and, and everything. So that said, 1 John chapter 4, verse 7, John writes this. My dear friends, we must do what? We must love each other. Love comes from God, and when we love each other, it shows that we have been given new life. We are now God's children, and we do what? We, we know Him. So that, that's pretty obvious there, right? That, that love is a good indicator. Are you right with God or not? Now, just because you're a loving person doesn't mean necessarily that you're in a right relationship with God. But what John is saying is that without love, It's impossible for you to be in a right relationship with him. Verse 8, whoever does not love does not what? Does not know God because God is love. Now, I want you to notice here that it doesn't say that God loves or that God has feelings of love. It literally says that God is love. The very core essence of who God is, is love. Now, love is just one of his many attributes, but it's who he is. And because he made us in his image and he wants us to become more like him, we need to become more and more loving. And if so, if you don't have love for one another, then it's impossible for you to be in a right relationship with him. So at the very core of who you are, you need to be self-sacrificing. You need to be giving. You can't be selfish. Verse 9, God showed his love for us when he sent his only son into the world to give us life. Here we find out that love is a verb. Love isn't just something that you feel. Love isn't just something that you say. True love always has a corresponding action that goes along with it. And so John says that, look, the way that that God showed his love, he demonstrated his love was by sending his his son. Now, why did Jesus have to come? Verse 10. Real love isn't our love for God. uh, Let me try that again. Real love isn't our love for God, but his love for us. God sent his son to be the what? To be the sacrifice by which our sins are forgiven. Now, I don't ever want you to stop being amazed by this. That the very God of the universe, the very creator of everything, the creator of you, so loved his creation that when his creation rebelled against him, when his creation rejected him, he decided not to destroy his creation, but instead to come and die for his creation. Again, never stop being amazed by that. This is a king saying, I will die for my peasants. This is a general saying, I will die for the private. This is absolutely amazing. 
This is the judge pronouncing the death sentence, the death penalty for the very worst criminal ever, you and me. But then after pronouncing that death sentence, taking his judge's robes off, coming down off the bench and saying, I'll die in your place. Don't ever, ever, ever let that message become old or stale. That's the good news of Christianity, that God loved you so much that he came and he died for you. And what John is saying is, look, because God loved us that much, now we must love one another. Amazing. Amazing. It wasn't that he was obligated to. It wasn't that he had to do it. It's that he wanted to do it. The Apostle Paul, at one point in the, uh, the book of Ephesians, he writes and he says, I pray that you can grasp just how high and wide and long and deep the love of God is for you. But Paul even acknowledges then, he says, our human brains can't even fathom a love that's that great. But yet we've got to try. We have got to try to imagine what kind of love is that? And then to emulate it. Verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us that much, we surely, what's the next word? We surely ought to love each other. Now that verse is somewhat self-explanatory. You don't need me to explain a lot about that one. So let's take a little different twist on it here. The Greek word there for ought is ophelo. And a lot of times when you and I think of the word ought, we think that you, know, you ought to do that, that we think that it's sort of a suggestion. But ophelo is not a suggestion. Ophelo means it's an obligation. And it's an obligation to pay a debt according to the law. That really you don't get a choice. That you ought to do this. It's much stronger than the way we typically think of the word ought. This is almost, a, it's a command that you must do something. So this becomes then a major stumbling block for atheists. Not because atheists can't be loving. Not that atheists aren't always loving. In fact, I know some atheists that are more loving than some Christians that I know. What makes this a stumbling block for them is why ought we love? Why should we love one another? And they have no good reason for that. Why is it more than just a, a good thing? Why is it the right thing to do? You see, what atheists believe is in evolution and that out of nothing came something, and then that something just kept sort of growing and growing and multiplying, and all of a sudden it evolved into human beings like you and I and other species and other things that are living. And so if it's all just that random, and as atheists and evolutionists, they believe in what's called the uh, survival of the fittest, Meaning that basically the way things that evolved was whatever's the bigger thing, the stronger thing, 
that's the thing that survived. And then things just continue to evolve from there and whatever survived from that. And so what happened to survival of the fittest is basically if you have to steal, if you have to kill, if you have to destroy, whatever it takes to survive and to thrive, that's what you do. And so that's why things like that we ought to love one another is a major stumbling block for them because they have no good reason for why we ought to love one another. When evolution says that, no, you don't love one another, it's survival of the fittest, you do whatever it takes for you to get ahead. Now what they'll say is, well, it's just, it's the good thing to do. It, it's good for us. But again, that's the good thing, but what makes it the right thing? Why do you, we even have this urge in us to do the right thing? And they have no, no reason for that. See, we know that the, 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 the drive in us to, to do the right thing, to, to love, is from God. But they don't have that. Well, they have that, that drive, and that's why they sometimes do the right thing. But they don't have a logical explanation for why to do the right thing. So they'll say, well, you know, love is, you know, just us doing whatever's good. I mean, we're just being good humans. Why are you being a good human? Because that's the right thing to do. Yeah, but where does that right come from? They just don't have an answer. They have no answer. It's not an ought to love. Basically, they're looking out for themselves. Now again, let me be clear. Many atheists are more loving than some Christians. Some atheists are more moral than some Christians. But whether we believe in him or not, you know, we, we all sometimes do the right thing. We do the, the moral thing. But as I mentioned earlier, that's because God has put these impulses in us to do the loving thing, to do the moral thing, to do the right thing. So as, as Christians, as, as I said, we were made in his image. We were made in his likeness. And we understand that the reason that we do good things is because he loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. And since he loved us that much, now we ought to love other people. We should sacrifice in the same way that he sacrificed not out of self-interest. Paul says we need to put the interest of others first. That's not, a, again, a natural thing. That certainly doesn't fit the narrative of evolution, that it's the survival of the fittest. Do whatever it takes for you to get ahead. John here writes that we ought to love one another. Why? Because Jesus first loved us. Verse 12. No one has ever seen God. But if we love each other, God lives in us 
and his love is truly in our hearts. Now, some of you are going, wait a second, what do you mean that no one has ever seen God? Wasn't Jesus God? And the answer is yes, Jesus is God. However, Moses at one point, he talked about that no one has ever seen God in all of his majesty, all of his glory, because if we were to see all of the Father, everything of just how great he is, we would instantly die. We would instantly be just consumed. Not, not die in a bad way, just it'd be like a, a heart attack almost that how just, wow, this is amazing that the glory of God, the, the light of God just blind us and just, again, it would just so overwhelm us that we would instantly die. And so keep in mind that while Jesus is God, Jesus in his fleshly form there, it was a veiled sense of God. It was a a way for us to be able to, to see God and to get to know God and relate to God, but yet not be exposed to the full glory and majesty of God where we instantly would die. Verse 13. And God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. John's like, look, if you want to know if you're right with God, you've got to ask yourself, is the Spirit evident within me? Some of you are going, ah, how do I know if the Spirit is evident? Is there like a, a spiritual like, detector type thing that you can like, go around? And it's like a metal detector. It starts to like, beep when you get around me. It's like, beep, 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 beep. And they're like, oh, the, the Spirit's strong in this one, Obi-Wan, right? I mean, uh, uh, you know, is it like that? Or is it like a, a, a pregnant woman, you know, that you can have people come up to you and go, hey, put your hand right here. Did you feel that kick? Yeah, that's the Spirit in me, right? <laughs> is that what it is? No, not at all. Basically, if you have made a declaration of faith in Jesus, then you have the Spirit. Look at verse 15. That's what John writes. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them, and they then live in God. So it's that declaration that I believe in the finished work of what Jesus did on the cross, that it's He and He alone that can save me of my sin. It's He and He alone that can give me that assurance of eternal life. It's He and He alone that can give me a brand new life right here and right now. It's when you make that declaration, that confession of faith, that now the Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And as we saw in the previous series that we did here at Exponential, the, the, the fruit then that will come out of you, that's more evidence Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That, that fruit is evidence of the Spirit in you. Verse 16. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in His love. God is love, and all who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. Remember, the whole goal of this series is that you would know that you have eternal life with him forever. That you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die this afternoon, that you'll spend eternity with him. And so that's what John gets into in the next couple of verses, verses 17 and 18. He says, if we truly love others and live as Christ did in this world, we won't be worried about the day of judgment. A real love for others will chase those worries away. If we are afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. John's like, look, if you're still fearing death 
if you're still fearing God's judgment, one of the keys to overcoming that is you have got to love more. Because the more you love other people, the more it demonstrates that you understand His love for you. So perfect love casts out all fear. So we got to love. Verses 19 and 20. We love because God loved us first. But if we say we love God and don't love each other, we are what? We are, we are liars. We cannot see God. So how can we love God if we don't love the people that we can see? I think we talked about that previously in the series, right? How can you say you love God if you can't even love the person that lives next door to you or the person in the cubicle next to you? How can you say you truly love God if, if you have any type of, of bitterness or envy or jealousy or hatred or unforgiveness in your heart? So we've got to love. Now I said that today John was going to give us two final tests to take and I've already covered actually both of them. Let's see if you picked up on it. That's your first little test, all right? But it is there on your outline. Here we go. The first test was this, do I love others? Do I love others? Earlier we talked about that you can't just say it, you've got to demonstrate it. And so John talks about that in, uh, where am I at? Actually, I've, I don't think I have the right, uh, I, I put the wrong note in my thing. What, what verse do I have there for that, for the next verse? Go ahead, throw that up there. Where is that? First John 3.17. Okay, we were in 4 today, and I was like, wait, we already did verse 17. I only had verse 17 in my notes. Okay, so it's First uh, John 3.17. Uh, John writes this. Now suppose a person has enough to live on and notices another believer in need. How can God's love be in that person if he doesn't bother to help the other believer? So here's some questions for you. How are you sacrificing financially for the good of other believers and the people of the world. How are you doing that? How do you spend your money when you get a paycheck? Is it all about you and what you need? Or are you showing your love, you're demonstrating your love by giving and serving and helping? Which of course brings us to the tithe. Are you tithing or not? Are you allowing us as a church to be able to do what we need to do to, to reach the Harrisburg community and, and reach the people all around the world? If not, then you're not loving. Verse 18. Dear children, we must show love through actions that are sincere, not through empty words. So some more questions. Do you forgive others in the same way that Jesus has forgiven you? Do you regularly share your faith with other people? I mean, if you truly love people, then the most important thing you could want for them is to spend all of eternity with God in heaven. So are you sharing that good news or are you just keeping it to yourself? That, okay, I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Who cares about everybody else? Now, I know you wouldn't say that out loud, but if you're not sharing your faith with others, that's what you're demonstrating. Again, love isn't just a feeling. Love is an action that you take. 
And so we've got to share our faith. We've got to be inviting people to come along to the church with us if we're going to truly say that we love other people. Now, I know for some of you, sharing your faith seems hard. It seems intimidating. You're like, what if I don't know the right thing to say or whatever? Well, you know what else was hard and intimidating at first? When you got a smartphone. All of a sudden, you had something in your hands that was way different than what you had before. The old phones, you could only do one thing with it. Call somebody. And eventually, then they added texting. Now, all of a sudden, you had this thing. It's like, oh, my goodness. And you remember how intimidated you were by it? There's these things called apps. What are apps? Oh, no. What if I push a wrong button or something? And there's the internet. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. And you were, you were so afraid. But then what did you do? A little trial and error. You made a couple of mistakes along the way. You asked a couple friends, hey, could you help me out with this? You read the instruction manual. All of a sudden now, you've got a smartphone and you're able to use it. Guess what? Sharing your faith is the exact same way. You won't be perfect at first, but a little trial and error, and you get better. You ask a couple friends, you ask me, you ask others, hey, you know, I've got this situation. How, how, do, how do you think I should share my faith in this situation? And then, of course, we have the ultimate instruction manual, God's Word. So if you figured out your phone, you can figure out how to share your faith. You see, what I've discovered through the years is many people, when it comes to sharing your faith, you come up with all kinds of excuses. But really what it boils down to this is what you value more is your own comfort and your own convenience rather than the conversion of somebody else's soul. I mean, if I'm just being completely honest, you would rather be comfortable and allow somebody else to go to hell than to take a risk and share your faith in Jesus. John says, look, the, the most loving thing you can do is to act upon your beliefs. Again, he says, we must show love through actions that are sincere and not just through empty words. So don't just tell me that you love people and don't just tell me that you want people to, to go to heaven. Show me that you want that to happen. So a major sign that you're right with God is you begin loving people and you sacrifice, whether it be financially or through your own comfort for others so that they can have not just a better life here, but they too can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they'll spend eternity with God in heaven. Here was test number two then. Am I afraid to die? Am I afraid to die? One of the things that I use often to get in a spiritual conversation with people that I don't know, like if I'm in a bank or you know, at the grocery store or whatever, and somebody says, hey, how are you doing today? I'll, I'll say this, I'll go, well, if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And they're like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, I, I know Jesus and I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven, so if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And they're like, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Now, depending on who it is and how they responded to it, you know, sometimes I'll just let it at that. Sometimes they're like, oh, that's interesting. And so then I'll follow up with the question of, do you have that kind of assurance? Do you know that you would spend all of eternity with God? 
And that can lead into a, a spiritual conversation. Then. Now, the, the point of sharing that with you wasn't to give you a little tip, although that it was a little tip of how to do it. The, the point of saying that is, when I say that, that if I was doing any better, I'd be dead, I actually mean that. I'm not afraid to die. No, I want to live. I like you guys. I love my wife, you know. <laughs> I, I, I want to, there's still things I want to explore and do things here on this planet. There's still people that I'd like to be able to help the influence to reach. But if I'm the one that dies this afternoon, I'm good with it. You guys cry for a little bit, but you'll still have potato salad a couple hours later, right? <laughs> and one of the things I've discovered is it doesn't matter how popular you think you are, the size of your funeral is still going to depend on the weather. So <laughs> it's just... So don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. I, I know where I'm going. I'm not afraid to die because I realize that this world is not our home. This is not where we're intended to live. Death is just the doorway into eternity. Think of it this way. It's like a, a, a baby in the womb. When that baby's in the womb, it's safe, it's comfortable, it's warm, it's constantly being taken care of, it's well-fed. But in the womb is not where the baby is meant to be. That's just a short time. Eventually that baby needs to be birthed into the life that it was meant to have. And as followers of Jesus, realize what we're doing here, this is just the womb. This is just preparation for eternity. Jesus wants you to be birthed into a, a relationship with him that you'll spend eternity with him. And so John says, look, if you're afraid to die, that means that you're still afraid of God's punishment. And, and God's punishment is something that we've discovered we shouldn't be afraid of. Why? Because he took our punishment for us. That is the gospel. And so if you're afraid to die, it's because you're afraid of the punishment and it means that you have not yet understood the love of God for you. Again, look at verse 18. If we are afraid, it's for the fear of punishment and this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. God wants you to experience his perfect love. How? By accepting his son, Jesus. It's not about you. It's all about him. As I wrap up this morning and I wrap up our series, let me remind you of the theme verse that we've had throughout these five weeks together. 1 John 5.13 I write this letter to you who believe in the Son of God so that you will do what? So that you will know that you have eternal life. After five weeks now of this series, do you have that assurance? Do you know that you know that you know that you know that if you were to die today, that you would spend eternity with him? If not, go back and listen to the series over and over and over again until you understand the love of God. 
and until you understand what it means to be in a right relationship with him. And so for one final time, I'll remind you of the, the biggest illustration we've used in this series, and that was with the stool here. I have just two relationships with that stool. Either I'm out of the stool or I'm sitting in it and trusting in it to support me. I can only have those two relationships. I can say that I believe that it exists until I'm blue in the face. I can intellectually think that, yep, that would hold me up. But until I'm actually sitting in it, there's no proof that I truly believe that, even if intellectually I'm saying it. It's the same way with Jesus. Either you are fully trusting in him or you're not. That's it. As I share with you in the series, it doesn't matter any prayers that you've prayed in the past. What matters is right now, right here, right now, are you fully trusting in him for your eternal life? If yes, if you, did, if you die today, you'll spend eternity with him. If you're not fully trusting in him, then you need to repent of your sin. And John said this, we looked at it earlier in the series, confess your sins to him, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of all of your sins and to cleanse you from all of your unrighteousness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these past five weeks as we've been able to just look at your great love for us. And as Paul said, it's impossible for us to understand just how high and wide and long and deep your love is. But Lord, I pray that your spirit would help us to even get just a, a brief glimpse of just how great of a love that is. And that we would allow that love to just wash all over us. And that in your love, we would be cleansed and made whole. But Lord, you don't want us just to have that for ourselves. You said that now we ought to love one another. That we are obligated to love one another. That the, the proof of our faith is our love for one another. And so Lord, help us to not just use empty words. But help us to demonstrate our love. To truly love our neighbor by sacrificing for them by giving of our time, by giving of our talents, the giving of our money, whatever it takes, because you did whatever it took as well by sending your one and only son to die for us. Because you loved us, now we can love. So help us to do that. Lord, I pray that each and every person here and each and every person that's listening to this podcast would have the assurance of eternal life that they would know that they're right with you. And Lord, if there's anybody that, that needs that assurance, that they would realize that it's just about trusting you and confessing our sins. And that when we truly do that, when we truly turn our lives over to you fully, make you not just Savior, but make you Lord as well. That Lord, you do that. And we are safely in your arms. Jesus, again, we cannot thank you enough for what you did for us. But help us now out of gratitude to go out and, and try to 
to try to try to show the world just how grateful we are for your great love. Thank you again. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.